thank you. I've been here since six, and thank I'd be perfect. Amen. Second Thessalonians chapter number three. That's what happens, Brother Marvin, when a person tries to wear too many hats. You know what, brother? All right. Second Thessalonians chapter number three, and we're going to take up our reading in uh, verse number eleven. All right, Second Thessalonians chapter number three, and uh, read in verse number eleven. And uh, what I'm going to do tonight, here's my here's my heart. Some of this you're going to know, and uh, probably will be familiar to you. However, if your uh, left leg suffers a wound, Neosporin on your right leg will do you no good. And so my hope tonight, if the Lord be my helper, is to help us figure out and see how to apply some of the things that we know in the Word of God. For you do understand that the Bible that we have and that we hold is applicable for those of yesteryear those today, and will be applicable for those when we're gone. Amen? And uh, so we want to apply the Scripture, and now we, we seek to rightly divide the Word of Truth. And while we want to rightly divide it, we also don't want to misapply it. And so my heart is to try to help us with some things, because you'll find church discipline to be uh, a very uh, strange concept in a lot of churches. But it's not a strange doctrine. It's in the Word of God, and I believe if more churches would follow what the Bible said concerning church discipline, it's kind of like corporal punishment. If we were willing to punish people for what they did, uh, they wouldn't be doing the things that they do, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, honestly, let's, let's call it like it is. Uh, I don't understand how a man murders somebody, and you put him in prison for 52 years, and he's been sentenced to life, I mean, he's been sentenced to death, and then he ends up dying of old age in there. People are not concerned or worried about what they do today. And uh, so that's the problem. And it's not that one is trying to issue a punishment. I believe that God, within the confines of Scripture, tells the church how to react based upon what the Word of God says. And we want to rightly divide that, but then we want to apply it properly, okay? And uh, so we need to interpret a few things and then... Uh, get the context of what's going on here and then move forward. All right, so 2 Thessalonians chapter number 3. I uh, just got uh, two verses, or let's see here. I got uh, 11 through verse 15. Stand with us, if you will, tonight. Stretch your legs for a minute, and uh, we're going to try to get right on through here, get, get, to, get to preaching. But I want to read 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 11. The Bible says, For we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly, working not at all, but are busybodies. Now them that are such... We command and exhort by our Lord Jesus Christ that with quietness they work and eat their own bread. But ye brethren, be not weary in well-doing. And if any man obey not our word by this epistle, note that man and have no company with him that he may be ashamed. Yet count him not as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. You can be seated. Heavenly Father, help us now, we pray. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Now, if you will, notice with me, I want to define just a few words here quickly. And uh, then I want to try to tie some things together that we've dealt with, but we've dealt with them kind of in separate messages. And hopefully we'll take what we've learned and tie these truths together. First, the Bible says, For we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly. Now, disorderly simply means this, being without proper order 
or disposition. Now, how do we know how to walk? How do we know how to live? By the word of God. It is our final authority in all things faith and practice, right? Understanding that we must grow and knowing that we don't have it all figured out, but ultimately we would say that we go to the scriptures to be our authority in how we are to walk, knowing that this is what God expects out of us as believers. So Paul's saying here to the church of Thessalonica, I hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly. That's being without proper order. That's walking out of order. That's walking here, uh, the Bible, or excuse me, the definition also is lawless or contrary to law. It's unruly, inclined to break loose from restraint. You'll believe me if, if, you, if you would believe me when I say this, the Bible is a restraint. It says there are things that we should not and cannot do. We've been preaching on grace and truth and mercy and truth and knowing that, that there are some shall nots. And when we was looking at that psalm the other night, uh, that psalm of separation, we found that David said that there was some things that he would not do, could not do in order for him to have the integrity that he did maintain. So we understand that disorderly is being without proper order or disposition, lawless, contrary to law, unruly, inclined to break loose from restraint. So you would understand that Paul's saying to the church of Thessalonica here, we've heard that there's some among you who are out of order. Working, not at all. Now work is effort. And it's usually the people that are walking disorderly and are, are not following the scripture, they're not going to usually be the ones that give much effort towards the ministry. Because they're not as concerned about what God wants or they'd be doing what God wants instead of going disorderly and contrary to what God says. You'll find that it's the individual that is rebelling or going against the orders of the word of God and is choosing to do things contrary to his book they're the ones that have no desire, no zeal, no concern for the things of God. Look around you tonight. We're missing some tonight. Where are they? Now, I'm not trying to pick on individuals, but I'll say this. Your Sunday morning crowd that don't never come back, you can pretty much nail her down that there's a problem there. And it's just manifesting itself in ways that we see. But there's no concern for the things of God because right here is the important thing that we live by. And if we can't even come and get under the influence of that, what makes us think that we're going to go do something else for God, right? All right, now I'm not, I'm not hanging out there, but I'm just calling our attention to some things. It's always the ones that are disorderly that are not doing anything. But notice what's said next. He said, for we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly, working not at all, but are busybodies. Here's something else that you can write down and I'll sign seal it for you. Because I believe what the Bible says. I believe when you find a busybody, somebody that's always meddling in something that's none of their business, you can always go back and find out they're usually not doing anything else. And they're usually the ones that's not too concerned about what God is concerned about. So when you run into a busybody, you can pretty much nail her down, friend. You're going to find somebody that's not doing much for God and is walking contrary to the scripture. Now, now, the Bible says, For we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly, working not at all, but are busybodies. Now, busybodies, busy, but not about the things of God. Isn't it funny? You can work your fingers to the bone and not be working at all. 
Hey, a busybody's got it going. They're running in 45 different directions. They got, they got feelers out everywhere on the latest what's going on. and uh, they're, they're up to date on everybody's business. And they know the last time Fifi down the road used the bathroom. And they can put it on Facebook and tell you everybody's business 24 hours a day. Meddling in everything. But they're not doing anything for God. The Bible says they're not working at all. Now, the Bible says, now them that are such, we command and exhort. Listen here. Now, them that are such, we command and exhort by our Lord, Jesus Christ, that with quietness they work and eat. Now, notice this, if you will. This is people inside the church. For we hear that there are some which walk among you disorder the work not at all but are busy about Now them that are such we command you and exhort by our Lord Jesus Christ that with quietness they work and eat their bread, their own bread. But ye brethren, be not weary in well doing. You know what happens? For those that want to do something for God. For those that are serious about doing something for God, I find that when you deal with that crowd of people, it drags you down. You always have that particular group of people that are doing nothing but always causing problems. They drag you down. I find sometimes that I can't get my mind off of that and get it on other things. And it's, the, it's us allowing the devil to rob us who want to do something from God's work. So can I say, I don't, I don't want to leave anyone sitting in the dust. But as a church, we need to understand if we're going to do anything for God... You might have to walk off and just leave some sitting in the dust. Go on and do what God tells you to do. Have a mind to work. Have a mind to do something for the glory and for the honor of God. And pray for those who don't want it. But don't let them take up all your time and consume all your time because you'll find it robs you of your worship. It robs you of your praise towards God. It robs you of your joy. So notice this, the Bible says here, But ye brethren, be not weary in well-doing. And if any man obey not our word by the, this epistle, note that man. Now note means notice to take heed the state of being observed. Why would we want to observe those people? Because those are the people you better watch out for. The people that are busybodies that are very busy working but not for the Lord, that are always meddling, that you'll find that they are the ones that are not spiritual, they are not walking orderly for they're disorderly, and somebody that, that is doing things in the name of Jesus that we know is disorderly and against the word of God, those are the ones you better keep your eye on. They are the ones that will stab you in the back. They are the ones that will cut your throat. They are the ones that will sow discord among the sheep. So you better watch them. Don't let them rob you of your joy. Don't let them stop you of your forward motion. But you better not take your eyes off of them. And I have news for you. Every crowd's got one or two sitting among them. Sometimes more than that. I've seen churches that were full of them. So what are you saying? I'm just saying we gotta, we got to gotta note that man. Note them. But notice this. The Bible says, And have no company with him, that he may be ashamed. Yet count him not as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. Now here's the thing. When it gets so that it's causing discord in the church and it's causing a problem within the church and it will always eventually get there. If one doesn't turn themselves around it will always climax to that point 
where it must be dealt with as a church. A preacher, I've lived my whole life and I've never seen a church handle that. Well, they're not following the Bible. That's what's wrong with your average church today. Hey, I still say the Bible says there's a crowd of people and an individual that can get to the place where they need to be removed. Oh, that's contrary to Jesus. No, Jesus did sit with sinners. Jesus did die for sinners. Jesus did tell them the truth and he did plead with them and he did visit with them and he did sit with them. But he also understand it was John that went to the religious crowd that would not yield to God's word and said, Oh, you generation of vipers. Jesus said the same thing. You need to understand, Jesus does not, the Lord does not have uh, uh, the warm and fuzzies for someone who's been saved by His grace that won't follow His book. Now understanding, I'm not self-righteous and you're not to be self-righteous and I'm not perfect and you're not perfect, but if your heart is towards God's book, God can get on board with that. But if it's not, friend, you are running on ground that, that is dangerous. Now here's what I want you to notice, and I want you to take very clear notice of this. The Bible said in verse 15, Yet count him not as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. Now to admonish Brother Shane is to tell the truth. To tell the truth in love. To bear the heart for someone that you're not wishing to remove yourself from the relation of that one. Brother Shane has a biological brother. And he will always have a biological brother. No matter whether he ever spoke to his brother again, the relationship is still there, although the fellowship may not be. And I'm not saying that there's anything between Brother Shane and his brother. I'm simply using that as an example at the moment, okay? And so having said that, Notice what the Bible says, yet count him not as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. So the Bible is saying that there is a brother, one that may walk among you, that you have to separate yourself from because of their actions. Now the Bible didn't say friend. The Bible said brother. Now I want you to know if you're saved by the grace of God, we are all children of of God, right? He's our Father, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. That means that we learned the other day when we were talking about the inheritance as we were looking at Esau and Jacob and Isaac that the Bible teaches us that that God's only begotten Son became the first begotten Son. For Jesus is our brother. Now you need to understand that, that that would be hard to separate yourself from a close family member, right? So I want you to see here That this is an example that it could just be Jesus, you understand. Although we find different uh, parallels in the scripture, Jesus looks at us as brethren. Say, preacher, I don't know about that. Well, Romans 8, 29 said, for who he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn of many Brethren, Hebrews 1.3 says Jesus is the express image of God. So let me say this to you. We are to be the express image of Christ. How, do I, how is that? Jesus is the express image of God's person. We are the express image of the person of Christ. We have been uh, birthed into the family of God. You and I are to be Christ-like. Followers of Christ. They were first called Christians in Antioch. So we are to express Christ the way that Christ expressed the person of God. So we're to be like him. Now let me say to you something. When we don't act like Christ, what does the Spirit of God do for us? 
we find that our fellowship, as I have been taught, is severed. We, our relationship doesn't change. With one another as brothers in Christ, is what I'm saying is if we're going to be the express image of the Lord Jesus Christ, if we're going to express Christ to others, we're going to be like Christ, we better start doing what Christ would do. Sometimes that's the hard things too. If the Spirit of God separates Himself from us uh, from a fellowship standpoint, we find that there are times when we have brethren that we have to separate from. Now, say, man, that brethren word, that's, that's pretty hard. Well, you might find that there's some literal brothers and sisters. You might find there's a literal mother or father. You might find there's a literal aunt or uncle or cousin or grandma or grandpa that's living contrary to the word of God. That if you allow them to, to take hold and take root in your children's life, they will lead them down a road uh, that goes contrary to God's word. So if Jesus would separate himself from a brother, you and I better be willing to do the same thing when it's our family that's going contrary to the word of God. I don't care how much you say you love them. What are we talking about? Love is what? Grace and truth. So if you can always extend the grace to your family, but you can't extend the truth, uh, you are not loving them the way that God loves you and I. So I'm not going to suffer uh, because of, of the... No, uh, no, 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 no. What is, what is being a Christian? It's suffering sometimes. But it's suffering for a greater cause. Did Jesus suffer that you and I wouldn't be separated from God? If we're going to be express image of Jesus, we're going to have to suffer that some won't be separated from God. If separating from you, Brother Marvin, would cause you to be ashamed and come to the place where you could be back in fellowship with God, I should take that suffering for the glory and for the honor of God. See, when we won't separate from our, our brothers and our sisters and our mothers and our fathers and our grandmas and our grandpas and our aunts and our uncles, it's not for their sake. It's for our own selfish sake. Because we don't want to be without something that we've always had. We're a people today that don't want to be without what we want. It's going to cost you today to be a Christian. But the fallout from not obeying God will cost you far more if you do not stand for God. So notice this here. I want you to see that we are to separate even from brethren. Jesus is our elder brother. We're saved. The brotherhood doesn't change, but we have no fellowship and communion without what? Now, if I get contrary to the book and God's fellowship is broken, the fellowship with the Holy Spirit is broken, then the only way, Brother Marvin, that I can get that right is through repentance. Now, we're looking at us as individuals who are trying to be Christ-like, being and expressing the Lord Jesus Christ. For you understand, the Lord Jesus Christ, through the Spirit of God, God the Father through the Spirit, dwells on the inside of us. He set up abode in this earthly tabernacle, this temple, if you will. He's expecting some things. Now, you understand that Brother Shane mentioned it the other morning. God, you understand Jesus, God in the flesh, went into that temple and he cleaned house. Because his house was not being used as a house of prayer, but a den of thieves. I wonder what we're robbing from God in this, in this flesh. 
What are we allowing this temple, what are we allowing to go on in relation to this temple that's robbing God of what He's expecting us to do? God did not save us and send His Spirit into our hearts for us to abuse the Spirit of God. So He has an expectation. We need to understand that tonight. Now notice with me, if you will, that if, if, if we're seeing that we are to separate from loved ones the way that, that Christ would separate from a, from a loved one through you know, fellowship, not the relationship. We're not talking about the relationship. The more parallels you'll find, the more it'll strengthen your faith in the fact that once you're saved by the grace of God, once you're a child of God, you are His. Nothing can take that away from you. I can have a child today and I can give that child away. But if I adopt one, Brother Shane, it's mine forever. You cannot adopt a child, go through the rules and regulations that it takes to adopt one, and then throw it away like you do one that you birthed. Now, Jesus, God gave his son, but you don't give up one that you've adopted. For when you, when you got them, you knew what you was getting when you got them. Hey, for nine months, you're wondering what God's going to send you. But when you get adopted, the person that accepted you and signed his name on your paperwork knew what he was getting, friend, when he brought you into his family. And I want you to know God knew what he was. He knew I wasn't worth anything, but he wanted me anyway. That's amazing to me. So having said that, though, I want you to notice, turn with me to Matthew 5 for just a second. And let's look at something here that's very interesting. We see this matter of reconciliation, this matter of, or excuse me, this, this matter of fellowship uh, being such as it requires repentance when one has a fallout with our older brother. Notice with me in Matthew 5 and 22, the Bible says, But I say unto you, that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whosoever shall say to his brother Raka shall be in danger of the council. But whosoever shall say thou fool shall be in danger of hellfire. Notice with me, if you will, Matthew 5, 22 says, Whosoever shall be angry with his brother without a cause. Do you see that word cause? Do you understand when we're angry, Jesus was angry when he went in the temple. It was a righteous anger, Brother Shane. And uh, I want you to understand here, whosoever shall be angry with his brother without a cause, we have to establish proper cause when we're dealing with this matter of having an awe or a problem with our brother. Now in this situation, what we've read to you in 2 Thessalonians chapter number 3 is the protocol for how we issue church discipline. This is one that's walking disorderly, but disorderly by what standard, Brother Shane? The Bible. Now when I have an awe with Brother Marvin, Brother Marvin has offended me personally. That does not mean necessarily Brother Marvin has offended God based on his word. It just means that me in my flesh could be offended at Brother Marvin. So what do I do? I go to Brother Marvin. Now follow along because what we run into sometimes is how we apply discipline with God's people. And some would say, well, this is the proper protocol for dealing with a situation and this is the proper protocol or you didn't handle it right or you didn't handle this right and we're going to look at what God's Word says about how to handle things. When we find in 2 Thessalonians 
three that church discipline was issued, it was issued to someone who was contrary to the word of God. Now notice with me here. Whosoever shall be angry with his brother without a cause. Is it wrong to be angry with your brother? Let me ask you that question. Jesus was angry, but he was angry with righteous anger. Because what was going on in the temple was contrary to his father's wishes. You and I, Brother Martin, if we love the Lord, it should offend us when we see someone doing something with the temple of God. That is contrary. Let me tell you something. A lost person isn't got a temple for God. We're not talking about lost people. We're talking about this generation of vipers we've got today in 2022 who say they love the Lord and say they're going to go to church, but they do everything contrary to the Word of God. And they're so stiff-necked and rebellious, they wouldn't take the Word of God if you give it to them and show them the black and white of the pages. They're going to rebel. So what are you saying here? Can we be angry with a brother? I believe we can righteously. Because we see how it hurts the God that we serve. Now I want to say this. When I look at you, I have to look at you as God's sheep. I have to realize that I did not die for you, Brother Donnie, the Lord did. So I have to be careful not to let what you do offend me personally. So how do I go to a brother? Why do I go to a brother when they've offended me personally? But when you do something wrong with God, it should offend me because of what it done to my God. But I realize that you might not necessarily be doing it to me personally. So it's an it's a, it's a anger, but it's a righteous anger. It's an anger that I can have as long as I do not allow that emotion to result in sin. Now Jesus did not sin. He cleansed, he cleansed the temple. Right? So notice with me, if you will, here. Whosoever shall be angry with his brother without a cause. So we have to establish proper cause. Ephesians 4.26 says, Be ye angry and sin not. There is righteous anger that is not sinful. We find in John 2 that Jesus actually, he was angry. He done what he done, but he did not do it out of reaction. For we know the story, how he planted the whip. That takes time. He was calculated in what he done. I don't believe he just lost his mind and went bazonkers in there. I believe everything he done, he done with righteous anger, but calculated. It's all right to react with anger as long as you're calculated and you're doing what you're doing for the glory and for the honor of God. Not to hurt your brother, but to help. We should never get joy out of watching a brother fall. We should never get joy out of watching a brother suffer. We should never watch a, have joy watching a brother endure uh, the chastening hand of God. What did the Bible say in 2 Thessalonians 3? We're to admonish as a brother. We're not trying to do away with their kinship. We're trying to promote them. Yes, it hurts. Oh, he hurt me the way he did that. What does the Bible say? That they might be ashamed. It's going to hurt. No, You know what you do when you're ashamed? You hang your head in shame. The problem is we've promoted so much ungodliness that people stuck their head up in there and they're walking around in their pride about all their sin. We need them to drop their head once again. It'd be good if the church could get some people who saved with the grace of God to drop their head once again. When you drop your head, you'll drop your knees. When you drop your knees, you can get back up again and look towards God and thank Him that you've been forgiven and do something for the glory and for the honor of God. I like Wednesday nights. I'm having a good time tonight. Having said that, we understand here, you, have you ever heard the statement when, you get, when someone gets angry, that just eats me up? You ever heard that statement? I've said it my whole life. 
I heard my granddaddy say it. Something happened. He goes, man, that burns me up. Or, man, that just eats my lunch. Or, man, that eats me up. You know, that, that phrase I'll always said. But I want you to notice with me, if you will, look at John 2 and 17 for just a moment. Show you what happens here. John 2 and 17, this is following the cleansing of the temple. The Bible said here in verse 17, and his disciples, after they witnessed him, Brother Shane, plack the whip and go in there and clean the house of God up. The Bible says, and his disciples remembered that it was written, the zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. Now here's what I want you to notice. We would say, and we understand, and we're going to look at the definition, Jesus was angry. But the Bible uses a specific word called zeal. His disciples remembered that it was written, The zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. What was the disciples remembering? What scripture were they calling to their attention? Psalm 69, 9 said, For the zeal of thine house hath eaten me up, and the reproaches of them that reproach thee are fallen upon me. Now zeal is more than anger. It is the ardor of red-hot passion. You ever notice somebody that just really wants to do something for God? They have a passion and a desire and they just want to do it. And it's almost like they can't contain it. And that's why I say you got to be careful with young preachers because they have more zeal, you know, than they have discernment. I mean, they just want to go. They just, they just, they're like a runaway truck in neutral headed off down a hill with no brakes. I mean, you can't hardly stop them because they just want to go. But they don't quite have it between their ears to get where they're going without causing a wreck. But that's zeal. That's what that is. It's red hot passion. And what happened was Jesus was passionate about cleaning God's house when he went in there. He was, he was passionate. But notice this. Zeal is more than anger. It is ardor of red hot passion. But what is our ardor? Ardor is extreme vigor or energy, intensity. Intensity is a great warmth of feeling. Zeal in this context manifested the Lord's passion in the emotion of anger. But it was still calculated. Now, would you say that Jesus had cause to be angry. It was a righteous anger. A cause for his anger was established. The cause of his anger was the fact that God's house was being used contrary to God's will. So when we see God's house being used, and I'm not talking about this church building. I'm talking about me and you. Hey, let me tell you something. The only reason Jesus is in this house is when Jesus' people come in this house. Jesus ain't sitting here in the Ark of the Covenant when you and I leave. We bring him with us when we come. That's why if you don't like the singing and you don't like the preaching, maybe you ought to pray about it and get with God and uh, get something going with you and Jesus before you get to church and help us with the singing and maybe help us with the preaching. Now, that don't mean I want you to line up here for the pulpit, okay? But I'm saying pray, be involved, take part in it. You bring the Lord with you when you come. Is he upset? When you use your, your uh, temple for something contrary to God's word, he's upset. When you take yourself and do things and promote things and go places that God's book doesn't promote, you, friend, need your temple cleansed. And God is plaiting the whip. Say, I've not been spanked. I've not been punished. He's plaiting the whip. And when he gets that thing finished, if you've not got her cleaned up, you're going to get it. So, Jesus had caused to be angry. It was a righteous anger. A cause for his anger was established. 
Whosoever shall be angry with his brother without a cause. That's Matthew chapter number 5. Now what we need to do is when we are frustrated and angry with righteous anger, we have to ask ourselves, do we have a cause? That cause can only be one thing, Brother Marvin, that we see someone we love whose temple is being used contrary to God's word. Let me tell you something. It'll drive a preacher crazy if the preachers won't do what God wanted them to do. If the preachers want the church to pull and go in that direction. And let me tell you something. If you are not, and I could only imagine what this does to God. Because I know what it does to the pastor. To see people that make decisions that he knows is contrary to God's word. And they do it anyway. It drives, it drives me bonkers. I have to go back and I, and I pray and I weep and I cry. It keeps me up at night. And, but I have to go back and I have to remember where the Bible said, But ye brethren, be not weary in well-doing. Don't let it rob you of your joy. Still serve God. I'm still saved. I can still serve him, although others don't. But we want unity here. We want unity because we want the Spirit of God to help us in our church. So anyway, we're finding here that Jesus had caused anger. It was a righteous anger. A cause for his anger was established. They had misused God's house for personal gain and convenience in place coupled with sacrifice. Now sacrifice, Brother Shane, isn't meant to be convenient. That's the total opposite of the purpose of sacrifice. David would not sacrifice. He said, I'll sacrifice nothing that cost me. I'll sacrifice not something that cost me anything. That didn't cost me anything. I didn't say that exactly right, but you can find it yourself and get the actual words right. But he's saying here, I'll not offer anything to God that didn't cost me something. Because he understood a sacrifice was to cost. When God wants us to do something for his glory and for his honor, it's a sacrifice. Just like we've seen being thrown in that fire, wasn't gonna, it wasn't good for the flesh. But being willing to be thrown in the fire, we understand that the Lord didn't save them from it. He saved them in it. But it has to be, you have to be willing to suffer the consequences of your actions. So sacrifice isn't meant to be convenient. That is missing the whole point. Jesus was offended and he was angry because of what happened. Now, notice with me, if you will, Jesus was offended. God was offended in how the temple was being treated. Now look with me in Matthew chapter number 8. Because we're finding here that there is a, there is a brother, Brother uh, Marvin, that we can be angry with if we have established proper cause. If you, Brother Marvin, fall off the wagon tomorrow in sin, you hurt your wife, your son, your church, your God. I'm going to be angry with you, Brother Marvin. If this church found out tomorrow that your pastor who preaches Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, was doing something contrary to the word of God, it would make you angry. And you would be right in your anger. Notice what Matthew 18 says, though. And I'm, I'm, in, the wrong, I'm in the wrong book here. It's going to be hard to read 2 Corinthians when I need to be in Matthew. Matthew chapter number 18, verse number 15 says, Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. Now notice this is a trespass. You know what a trespass is, don't you? Trespass is to commit an offense against. That means if you've committed an offense against me, I have to go to you and tell you, Brother Marvin. This does not mean Brother Marvin has went contrary to the book. Now he may have. 
I could be righteously angry with Brother Marvin because Brother Marvin has went against God's word. But I'm offended because he's offended God. Sometimes we get offended not because a brother offended God. We're just offended at a brother. Now you understand brothers fight like cats and dogs, don't you? And sisters fight like cats and dogs. And brothers and sisters, and they just fight. And sometimes, we, you know, brothers and sisters can get in an argument, but you better not let nobody else pick on your brother or sister. You're ready to whoop them. You understand what I'm saying? I mean, sometimes it's like that. Sometimes we get frustrated with one another, aggravated. Our personalities may disagree a little. Just we all have different personalities. Personalities can get on people's nerves. So here's what I want you to understand. that We're not talking about that. We're talking about, moreover, that brother trespass against the not, not God. Notice this. Moreover, the brother trespassed against thee. That means it's personal between me and you. That is not the same thing that we're finding, Brother Shane, in 2 Thessalonians chapter number 3. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, we're protecting the church from an individual who is contrary to God, who has offended God. So, now in this situation, it says, Moreover, thy brother trespasses against thee. Go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. I want you to notice, Brother Shane, these steps are not in 2 Thessalonians chapter number 3 when we're dealing with the church and one who has gone against the precepts of God's word. This is a different situation and people will misapply these verses and they act like this is constituted for every situation and it's not. This is between me and you. Now here's the thing. If I'm personally offended by you, one of us is wrong. But it doesn't necessarily mean that it's Brother Marvin. Could be me and my stinking flesh either misinterpreted him, didn't understand him. Sometimes I'll text Brother Marvin and I end up having to call him. Because I said, Brother Marvin, I know if you read that the way I said it, you are not going to understand what I was getting at. Because he could misinterpret what I'm saying. And I assure you, if I text any of you very much, you're going to find out that you can't make heads or tails out of what I'm saying. I can't even spell on them things. You'd think I didn't pass the third grade. I'm not joking, and I spell just fine. But I get in a hurry and send them things, and before I know it, I can't even understand what I've said. <laughs> so you, you get lost in it sometimes. So it said, more of thy brother trespassing into go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. Why? Now, what was the problem over here in 2 Thessalonians chapter number 3? This individual who was walking disorderly and working not at all was a busybody. So in this court, you separate from them. In this situation, I'd go to Brother Martin quietly and me and him one-on-one -on -one because I'm offended by him personally. He may not have done one thing to upset the, the church or to go against God's word. But because he's done something and I think he's done something wrong and I, or I've misinterpreted, I go to him and we quietly talk about it. And he says, Brother, you've, you've misunderstood that. I feel about this tall. I said, Brother Marvin, I'm sorry. He passed it on and makes it's all right, brother. And we go on about our separate way, and no one is privy to it. The church isn't disturbed by it. The, the service on Sunday is still fine, and nobody knows anything. And the less people know about stuff that's none of their business, the better off we are. But a busybody sticks their nose in business that ain't there. You see the difference here? This is contrasting one another. So, more of that brother trespassing against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. Now, you would agree that one that has a fault with a brother really has lost that brother. Because if I don't get it right with you, Brother Marvin, it's just going to manifest into in, in a much bigger problem. And I'm going to start avoiding you. I'm actually going to start having a, a, a scowl on my face when you're near. 
And really, it ain't going to be long, Brother Marvin, and, and I'm not going to be able to hold it no more. I'm going to have to tell somebody about how great I am at you. And then by the time I share it with my wife, then my wife, you know, it manifests in her about how you could do me that way. And she shares it with somebody else, not that she does this, but I'm just giving you an example. Before it long, it's made its way through the church. When if I'd have done what God told me to do, and I'd have been spiritual, I'd have went to you and worked it out. But now, when Brother Marvin is obstinate to hear me, and he won't talk to me about it, and he's stiff-necked in it, God don't like us to be at odds with our brethren and sisters in Christ. For if we love him, we love our brethren. Right? We love our brethren, we love him. So we need to be right with one another. Now what happens is, is when we don't deal with these problems, we leave things wrong between individuals, and churches that have problems between individuals can't move on. So let me go ahead and throw this in here while I'm here. If you've got a problem with somebody, you're not spiritual, you're not in the will of God, Unless you go talk to them about it. Alright? And I'm saying it in between you and them. But if you will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. When two cannot agree, you have to get somebody that's unbiased, that is spiritual, to stand there. Because if I got three people standing here between me and Marvin who is unbiased, and I think Marvin is wrong, but Marvin is right. Marvin thinks he's right. He may be right. They look at the situation and go, Brother Aaron, I, 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 we're not seeing it your way. We think Brother Marvin's in the right, and this is why. Well, then I'm not only mad at Marvin, but if I'm in real rebellion, I'm mad at all four of them. So now that I'm mad at all four of them, the, the problem and the issue is now exponentially increasing. So now we better take it before the church because what happens is we're fixing to have a runaway train. We're fixing to have a runaway train. And so what we do, we take it before the church hoping that the church will stand for what's right and help that brother that's wrong, in this case it would be me, to see that I'm wrong. And then when I'm having to stand among all you all, and this is why it's important for the church to stand as a body for what is right. Listen, I'm talking to you right now and my hands are, are in, in, uh, in sync with what's going on in my mouth. When you're not man, woman, boy, or girl enough to stand up for what's right in God's house, you're letting somebody suffer a blow that they are not supposed to suffer. And you say, I don't want to take sides. Well, when you got saved by the grace of God, you stood on the side with God, and that's the side you have to stand on forever. It's going to cause you to have to stand up for what's right. Sorry if you don't like that. That's just the truth. So having said that, when you consider this situation as it stands, the church says, well, this is right and you're wrong. And I'm, if I'm going to be stiff-necked at that point, then guess what happened? The whole church is now aware of my rebellion. They know my heart because what's in my heart was manifested out of my mouth. Now here's the thing. God looks on the heart. Man doesn't. But man can see the heart when he hears what comes out of your mouth. So what happens is, is my righteous anger, my self-righteous anger, I show myself to be what I am, then the church has but one choice, and that's to send me out those doors as a heathen and to separate from me and do the same thing that we would do in 2 Thessalonians chapter number 3. But the protocol isn't the same. Now here's the deal. When I do what I've done before God's people, I have offended God. I've taken something that should have been between me and Marvin who is a small misunderstanding and bloated up to the fact that I've hurt God's people. God is upset with that. I'm to go out those doors and I am to be shunned from the church until... I'm willing to come back and get right. And I'll say this. You don't come back and get right right here. And then get up and go on like nothing happened. 
you come back through those doors and you get right right here. Then you go over here and you get right right here. See, when it's between me and Marvin, that's where it started. It has to be, there has to be repentance here too. See, some people, they want to do people wrong. Then say, well, I got with God and got forgiveness. Oh, no, you didn't. You didn't do you went and got it right with the person that you done wrong. But see here in 2 Thessalonians chapter number 3, the issue here isn't the same. It's not between the individual, it's between the person and God. And when you allow someone who is wrong and living wrong to, to continue in that without being gone under church discipline, here's what you're saying, essentially, Brother Marvin, is we're going to overlook it. God don't overlook nothing. So when God don't overlook something and we say that we're going to overlook it, we've chosen sides against God. So see, here's the, here's the deal. It's, it's such as God expects us to stand with him always. And God doesn't want to be offended by someone and find out that you and I are harboring them in their offense towards God. So we have church discipline for that reason. Now a man that has proven that he's in sin has hurt God and went against God's word. Cause has been established with Marvin. We can be frustrated about that. Psalms 51, 3 and 4 quickly says, For I acknowledge my transgression and my sin is ever before me. Against thee, thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. He's talking about the sin that he committed with Bathsheba. And not only did it start with Bathsheba and his lust, but we find that he killed Bathsheba's husband. He caused Joab to go against what was right. It was a compounding problem that grew and got worse. And sin's always that way. You let it go in the church, it'll compound. And other people will begin to latch on and do the same things. They'll follow the example of those that do what is against God's word. Then it becomes popular to do what is wrong. And then the first time a preacher stands up that's got a backbone that'll say what's right in the word of God, you suddenly don't want to hear what he has to say no more. That's why we, in these last days we have teachers, uh, or we have people that have ears that they want to be tickled. Now here's the deal. David sinned against Bathsheba. And you're right. And Joab, but why did he say, acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is there before me against thee and the only have I sinned? What he's saying is ultimately, above all else, I've hurt God. That's the emphasis that's being set in this scripture. Above all else, Brother Marvin, when we take a brother in Christ that is doing wrong and rebelling, and it's, it's, it's seen before the entire church. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, the church seen those that were walking disorderly among them. There was no question of who they were. When there's no question in who they are and what they're doing, contrary to that book, we don't go through this protocol we just went through when it's just between me and you. We have something to do and that's say, hey, you're going to have to leave or you're going to have to get right. Well, I know this ain't popular, but it's, it's the truth. But David sinned against Bathsheba, Uriah, and Joab. But he's saying here ultimately, I have hurt my God. And when man goes against godliness and rebellion, we are to separate because not to separate is to stand with someone that God has separated from. We don't stand with what God has separated himself from. This is a point where they refuse to do different and they are out of the will of God and they're put out of the church that they might be ashamed. We do not make allowances for things that God doesn't make allowances for. When we start making allowances for things that God does not make allowances for, we are standing with the one that's sinning against our God. 
That makes us wrong. There's churches today that's got sin in them. That's been brought before the people. People see it. They do nothing with it. God's not blessing that work. And if that work is getting bigger, that work is not growing. It is swelling. And it will always get to the point where it busts. Just because it's getting bigger and just because there's people being added to it doesn't mean that God's working in it. So don't be confused by what your eyes are showing you. Now, God desires fellowship, but he's not willing to compromise the habit. We see that, the Spirit of God, when we do wrong and we know we're doing wrong, we can only get right when we repent. Because God, although he wants fellowship, he wants it so bad that he sent his son to die. Why did he send his son to die? Because he won't compromise his holiness for nobody. And Jesus was the only thing that could satisfy God. So if he'd go to that measure to make sure there was a way that you and I could have a relationship with him, don't be fooled in thinking that he's going to overlook your sin or your rebellion. When a, uh, so here, listen, God desires fellowship, but he's not willing to compromise the habit. Now, you, you, you understand here, you admonish as a brother here. I want to I emphasize that. We never stop admonishing as a brother. Warning. Now, I want to say this, Brother, Brother Marvin. When we put somebody out of the church for their sin, we don't stop going after them. What we're saying is, is we can't fellowship with you because God can't fellowship with you. We cannot allow this because God does not allow this. So, Brother Marvin, when you're living in sin, you and I aren't getting up on Saturday morning and going down to Hardy's and having a sausage biscuit and drinking a cup of coffee. When you've done something that's against God's book and you've seen it as such and the church has, has given you discipline for it, you're not to go fellowship and act all hunky-dory like everything's all right and just pick up where you left off. No, you separate and say, well, that's going to hurt them. It's supposed to. And guess what? If you love them like you're supposed to, it'll hurt you too. Nobody ever separated from a brother that they loved that it didn't hurt them. I've got people in my family that I do not take my kids to. And they do not see them. They do not visit with them. And they act like they're the only ones hurt. I'm hurt. My wife's hurt. I've spent hours and hours at night praying and crying and begging God to heal the situation because of the pain and the suffering that it causes. But I want God to get a hold of them. I want God to do something. I want God to show them that somebody's going to stand for truth when the world's falling down around them, friend. It'll hurt you to see a brother hurt. It'll hurt you to separate from them. But it's supposed to that they might be ashamed, that they might drop their head, that they might see that they have done wrong. David said, I have sinned. And he did not just immediately think of Uriah. He did not think of Joab. He did not think of Bathsheba. He thought of the God that he hurt. And when you and I send somebody out of the church, we're sending them out because we're thinking of the God that they've hurt. Now notice with me if you will. If you will. Say, preacher, we do what you're saying. That makes for a pretty lonely life. Boy, it'd make you start wanting to go to church on Sunday. It'll make you want to go down there with people that's like-minded. You want to know why people don't want to go to church? Because they got family that they've compromised for that they can spend all the time in the world with and enjoy all the time in the world with and do all those things that's ungodly with. 
But when you separate yourself from those that are doing wrong, all you've got is the church. And you'll fall in love with the church a whole lot more to be around people that think like you do and want what you want and want to go with the Bible. I'm in love with God's church. And I need to be there. And I want to be there. And I want to take part in it because I have no one else. All I've got is God. And all I've got is you. But all we need is God. And all we need is one another because we're trying to get folk to see they need the same thing. Now, because we know that Jeremiah 17 says the heart is deceitful, and above all things desperately wicked, who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doing. So God sees the heart. You don't know man's heart. Because I don't know man's heart, when Brother Marvin offends me, I have to go to him to tell him. Because the only Marvin knows what's in my heart is if it comes out my mouth. Now the Spirit of God dwells on the inside. We are convicted when we do wrong. The Spirit of God, Brother, uh, Brother Shane, don't take six months to come to you and let you know you've done wrong. When you do something that you know uh, is contrary to that book, God gets your attention right then. Now, he might plait the whip. It might take him a little time to whip you with it. But understand, he lets you know you're fixing to have it. You know you're doing wrong. The only way Marvin knows that I've got a problem with him is if I go to him. So we're trying to be like Christ, right? Because I'm not Christ, I'm not, I don't have the ability to, to ESP him what I'm thinking. I have to tell him what I'm thinking. So in order for him to know my heart, I have to speak out of my mouth. That's why when me and Brother Marvin have an issue, I have to go to him and tell him. Now if you want to be like Christ, because this is all about us being the express image of Jesus. And we've got to do what he does, right? So I'll say this, if you do not go to your brother that you have an ought against, you're not being like Christ. Because Christ will not deal with you, God will not deal with you if you're not his child. But if you're his child, the Bible says he'll deal with us as, as his children, right? For if he doesn't, then we're bastards and not sons, right? So let me say this, you don't love your brother the way God loves us. If you won't go to him and be man, woman enough to tell him that you've got an ought against him. And let him know so that you all can get it worked out. Because God is always wanting things to be fixed. But the only way something can be fixed is for them to know that there's a problem. And God does not um, allow, God, we do not fix our issues what God does not let us know there's a problem. We have his word and we have his spirit. So we have to go to a brother when we have an issue or we're not being Christ-like. Okay? So that's why we have to be verbal. Now, when we deal with Romans 14, like we dealt with for many Wednesday nights, I fear people feel like that I'm either turning soft or moving towards that of compromise. And I want to say this to you, not to try to pick up old bones, but there, I believe, in the past, when I first come here, we were a little unbalanced as a body. I believe we had some people that really leaned more towards grace. 
And I believe that we had some here that were so fed up with some things that they leaned more towards the, the, the legal side of things. It's easy to get fed up when you want people to do right that won't do it. So it seems almost like I have been looked at as an unbalanced preacher sometimes. Oh, about him, he's leaning that way a little. I don't know about him, I think he's leaning that way a little. No, 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 no. We're trying to go right down the middle. And what we do is if we're an unbalanced people, then we think the preacher's unbalanced if he goes a little bit against what we're thinking. Here's the other, Romans 14 gives allowances for our persuasions when it's not based on precept. There ain't nobody need to be falling out over that. But why do we remove a brother from our congregation when he goes against the clear doctrines of the word of God? Now, when it's that clear, let me ask you something. Is there any room for talking or negotiations? It's clear as the nose on your face. Some things don't have to be talked about six months to a year, put in 45 business meetings and dealt with. Sometimes we just have to admit it, suck it up for what it is and say they are not going to get right. There's the door. We love you. We don't quit going after you. We don't quit praying for you. We don't quit knocking on your door and saying, has God got a hold of your heart? Telling them what's right. We ought to drive them absolutely bat crazy with the word of God. But we're not going to fellowship with them. And we're not going to take them down to the mall and walk with them and chat and talk or go shopping. And we're not going to do all these things. We're going to separate from them and sever it and love them. And when we see them, we're going to admonish them as a brother. But we need them to be ashamed. Now Luke 17, 3 and 4 says, Take heed to yourselves if thy brother trespasses against thee. Rebuke him. Mm. But notice this. If he repent, forgive him. If he repent, forgive him. And if he trespass against thee seven times in a day, and seven times in a day turn again to thee, saying, I repent, thou shalt forgive him. You can't repent for what you don't understand. The Holy Ghost convicts of wrongdoing. We don't deal with the heart and the mind, but we can go to the ears and get in the mind. Some say forgiveness is mandatory, Brother Marvin, and reconciliation is dependent on repentance. That ain't Bible. That's not Bible. And it's taught in the independent Baptist church. It's taught that we just forgive and we just go on and love like Jesus did and that we're only hurting ourselves if we don't forgive. That isn't Bible. Jesus don't forgive without repentance and we do not forgive either. That's why when it gets all the way to the church and the whole church stands there and goes, man, you're wrong. We can't all just say, well, it's all right. We have to do what? What's the next step the Bible tells us? Out the door. You're a heathen and a publican. You know what a publican is, don't you? It's a Jewish tax collector for that of Rome. You know what a Jewish tax collector for that of Rome? All they're there for is what they can get. Somebody that will not do right is only here for what they can get. I got news for you. You're not in this church today for just what you can get. If your only reason for coming down to God's house this Sunday morning and Sunday night and Wednesday night is for what you can get, you ain't right with God. You're part of this body. You're here to help this body. You're here to labor in word and doctrine and, and, and study your own Bible and study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needed not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. You're to witness. You're to soul win. You're to tell people about God. You're to do everything that I'm doing except preach. We're all in this together. 
The Bible said in Matthew 18, 21, Then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me, and I forgive him? Till seven times. Jesus said unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. Now, you can't keep up with that many times when you're forgiven. Right? I mean, that's a lot of times to be counting right there. That's the whole point. Don't count. Just be willing to forgive. Now, he isn't dealing with, with the condition of forgiveness in this scripture. He's dealing with the willingness to forgive in this scripture. Let me give you this, and I'm finished. Imagine how many times we have to come to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm, I'm really sorry. How many times, Brother Shane, have we had to go before the throne of grace to find mercy and grace to help in time of need? You have to have the mercy before you can get to grace. We don't really deserve it. That's why it's called mercy. It's easy to want to stay mad at somebody, Brother Marvin, that is sorry who hurts you bad. It is. I, I could accidentally knock Miss Barbara down going outside tonight on the concrete and hurt her bad. And I'd say our family wouldn't appreciate it. And she probably wouldn't like it none either. But my heart wasn't to hurt her. And I could tell her, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I could cry and weep. It ain't going to make her feel better. She's going to have to determine in her heart if she wants me to be forgiven or not. See, that's, that takes something out of me and you too. So what Jesus is saying here, you're willing to forgive as many times as the person repents. This, this, this verse in Matthew 18, 21 and 22 is not saying that you forgive without repentance. It's just dealing with one side of forgiveness and that is the willingness to forgive. But the greater picture is, is when we deal with this other verse of scripture, it's dealing with the condition of forgiveness and it's always repentance. So I, I just want us to understand here, the Bible tells us in Hebrews 4 and 16, let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we have, may attain mercy and find grace to heaven. And how can we go to before the throne of grace to find mercy and grace boldly? Because God never changes. And as long as we're willing to change, we can go before him in the throne room and get the same thing, Brother Shane, every single day. Time. Aren't you glad he don't change? We don't need to change. We don't need to be wishy-washy. We need a church that's expecting God to help us, expecting God to do something, but we need to know how to apply these scriptures. And I'll be honest with you, we've run into some instances as of late where people have not necessarily outside of our church agreed with some of the things that I've done. But I assure you, friend, I've done it by the book. And when it's a member of our church or somebody within our congregation that's having to be removed, we don't have to go through all these steps that we go through when it's a personal issue between me and an individual. It's between God and the church. Then we go through what we dealt with in 2 Thessalonians chapter number 3. When it's clear and the whole church can say we see it, we know it is so. We see it as against the word of God. Then you take it to the person and that person either has to repent or they are set out of the church. That's simple. And all I wanted to do tonight is simply explain to you the protocol as the situation and circumstances vary between an individual and between the church and an individual. For I go to an individual and I individually have a problem. But when there's a problem between an individual and God's book within the church, we handle it differently, Brother Shane. All right. Heavenly Father, we thank you tonight.